Welcome to Fintech Founders, the podcast where we sit down and speak with the entrepreneurs changing the financial industry. In each episode, you'll learn about a founder, the company they built, and their vision for the future. My name's Nicholas Beliveau, your host for the show and the head of marketing at Fintech Cadence. Fintech Cadence is a community builder that's developing Canada's fintech leaders of tomorrow. To learn more about what we do, visit fintechcadence.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I have the pleasure of being joined by Andrew Kirkland, the co-founder and president at Just Wealth. How's it going, Andrew? I'm good, Nicholas. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, happy to have you on. So to kick it off, could you please tell us about Just Wealth? Yeah, so, um, well, Just Wealth is a, is a robo-advisor. Um, that's the, the term the industry gives us in, in the fintech space. And, and basically what, our, what Just Wealth does and a robo-advisor does is um, we manage um, Canadians' investments, um, whether it's retirement savings, uh, education savings, or, or anything for that matter, anything kind of in investments and they're looking to save for an objective, a certain objective. We do that uh, in a way where we're using technology as the primary medium to um, interact with our customers, right? Um, and Traditionally, what people have done in Canada is if they had an investment or they wanted money to invest, they had to you know, probably go to a bank um, and set up an investment account there um, and work with somebody to actually manage that money and, and hopefully they can meet those objectives. The other alternative was you could do it the Canadian could do it themselves. So they could set up uh, a discount brokerage account and literally manage those investments or those proceeds that they have invested on their own merits and, you know, take the time to do that. Now what a robo advisor does and what just wealth does is it tries to bridge the gap between those uh, two mediums. So you're going to be using um, some, you're going to be partnered with somebody to help you uh, manage your investments and someone's going to be tasked with managing your money uh, and making sure it's meeting your objectives. But we're using technology and we're using the efficiency of, uh, of the internet uh, to enable to have that partnership and have that connection with the client. So we're trying to deliver that, that person, uh, connection in a more efficient manner, and through all the through all of that, um, there's uh, significant cost savings that can be can be had. So, as an example, if if you take that first avenue that I was talking about, when you have uh, someone going to to a bank, right, and dealing with somebody, uh, there's a lot of costs that are built into the annual fee when you invest, um, and typically. Uh, it's around you know two and a half percent, two to two two and a half percent is what you're going to be paying in order to get that advice and get that service from that that employee at the bank. Um, whereas the other avenue is that that do-it-yourselfer. Um, there's no there's it's a much lower cost vehicle because you don't really have anyone uh, helping you along the way. So you're kind of left to your own devices and figuring out um, what you can do. You, there's different sure. cost structures. You have fees like a per trade and stuff like that. But it, with the robo advisor, we're significantly reducing that cost of the human interaction, um, and it's only a half a percent versus the the two and a half percent that I was talking about before. Uh, and again, because we're using the technology um, 
to enable us uh, to deliver our advice, advice in a more efficient manner. So, um, you know, we've been, Just Wealth's been around now for, uh, well, coming on five years. We launched uh, to the public in 2016. We were building the product uh, prior to that uh, in late 2015. Um, and we've seen steady, steady growth of the overall business. Um from 2016 all the way to today, and we, and you know, we we, we continue to see that growth every each and every day, and, and it's uh, it's just ramping up uh, significantly. I think one of the things that Just Wealth tries to pride itself on is um, the the word just. Uh, wealth um, actually means uh, justice, and um, our goal is to, um, you know, we're we're held to a fiduciary standard to make sure that investors' interests are held first over our own, uh, and, and we're on a mission to to uh, bring justice to all Canadian investors. So the just and just wealth isn't only it's it's for justice. Uh, okay. And helping helping clients um, get justice on their investments uh, from a long time of paying high fees. Cool. So, so when we think robo advisor, uh, first thing that comes to mind is a fully automated process. But you also have that that human um, component. Has that like I, I guess you saw the value in it, given your your background. Um, is that something you you think is still always going to remain the case? Um, or will robo-advisors, do you believe, uh, you know, be able to have that, that fully automated aspect where you don't need that, that human interaction? Yeah, so um, we... So I'll address the kind of human interaction first. So Just Wealth, yes, like every single um, client of, of, of Just Wealth, if you come and open up an investment account with us, uh, you are assigned a personal portfolio manager. And that personal portfolio manager is tasked with um, you know, making sure that your investments are aligned to whatever objectives that you have told us that you want. And we figure that out, again, using technology. If Whenever somebody comes on to Just Wealth, they complete investment questionnaire. So we have an understanding of what are their what are their objectives? What is their time horizon needs? What is their expectations on this investment? Um, so the personal portfolio manager will take those answers to that investment questionnaire and um, and make sure that the portfolio that that particular person is in is, is aligned to those objectives, right? Now we have pre-populated portfolios for clients, um, close to 70 of them actually. So we have many different objectives that can be met. Um, but I, it, it, the, the personal portfolio manager is there for that particular client. Uh, if that client wants to, to speak to somebody, we're finding that some people, you know, it, it's a very, you know, maybe when they first sign on and they first, uh, you know, set up their account, they want to have a conversation or an email communication with their personal portfolio manager. Uh, but once they're set up and running, um, you know, they're, they're kind of comfortable with, with, you know, the way it's working in their, in their, I guess communication with us kind of drops off. Um, so I think there's, but there's some people who just don't want to, you know, speak to anyone. They kind of like that robo nature, which is totally fine. It's totally up to how that person wants their objectives met. Um, so I think it's a, it's a model that, uh, can appease multiple and uh, different people, right. And multiple different def- demographics, um, it's not, uh, you know, you don't, you don't, you're not so pigeonholed. To, you have to speak to somebody right away and on a, you know, a monthly basis. Um, but if you want that, you know, you have the ability to reach out to someone and and, and speak to them, right? So it's, uh, 
it is really a very flexible model uh, from a servicing perspective. And I think what's happening now is um, in my previous role, uh, and you kind of mentioned this, Nicholas, I was I was actually tasked with, uh, I worked for a very large uh, mutual fund company here in Canada. Uh, and in that role, my job was to go out to financial advisors, um, say, for example, people that worked at the bank, uh, and, and consult on my, our products or our mutual funds that we had for sale in hopes that they would recommend them to their clients that they were dealing with. Right. And I just felt like I was traveling all across the province, um, working with different financial advisors. And it, to me, it just seemed as though it was a very inefficient way of, uh, of accessing, um, information, accessing advice. Um, which is why I kind of left that firm and started just wealth in the sense of, you know, trying to deliver a product that was uh, still very high quality, but using efficient mediums to deliver that, that, that product. Um, and as time has progressed, I think robo-advisors, when we were first launched, were kind of known as maybe a competitor to the, the incumbents like the banks. Sure. Um, but I think what people are starting to realize now is they can be a complement and they can be a partner. And what we've seen recently in the last few years, and it's in, and it's significantly catapulted our growth this year in 2020, in fact, um, is financial advisors are looking to us and partnering and referring clients to us. So we're managing the money for this, those particular clients, but they're managing the relationship, right? So um, it, it, the robo-advisor evolution has really grown from a direct-to-consumer model. Uh, and now we're, we're still, we still do that direct to consumer because that's, there's a demand for that from Canadian investors. Um, but some Canadian investors still want to, you know, they want to see somebody they want to meet, meet, you know, on a regular basis, maybe right now during COVID, but, uh, they like that, that, that person that they know rather than maybe a computer screen or an email that they get with a robo advisor. Um, and the financial advisors realize that, um, you know, the lower cost of a robo advisor does have a big impact on someone's overall wealth. So partnering with um, a robo-advisor from a financial advisor perspective has really seemed to um, uh, pick up over the last, I'd say, 12 months. That The trust aspect, I think, is really interesting. That's why traditionally most people go to their bank in Canada. Canadians are known to have a high level of trust towards their financial institutions. Moving towards a robo-advisor, maybe for the young, uh, you know, uh, Gen Z millennials who are, are born with technology, it's more natural. How, how do you, especially when you started off five years ago, um, how was it to onboard your, your first customers and uh, establish that trust with, with your investors? Yeah. So um, again, like we, we always try to, and it was even in our branding when we first started the firm of, of that justice and, 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 and treating people with the utmost respect and keeping their interests first and, and, and ridding ourselves of any conflict. So that's kind of in our DNA. And um, that, that goes to hopefully uh, the trusting aspect. Um, when, when people um, you know, hear about our mess, you know, hear about our company, hear about our messaging, hear us talk. Uh, and it's, it's literally in the name of our company about, you know, justice. Um, we think that that will, will hope, you know, bring that trust, uh, sooner than if it's just a, a computer screen and a slick interface, right. Um, it's a relationship, uh, and, and it's a kind of a, a following. So, um, I think, uh, we're also noticing, um, a lot of people, uh, 
come to us because of our backgrounds in financial services. So myself and my co-founder, um, you know, I was 10 plus years, uh, now over 15 years in the investment industry. Uh, my co-founder, James Gauthier, who's the chief investment officer at Just Wealth, um, he's over 20 years in managing asset allocation strategies. And in fact, he developed um, some of the largest asset allocation strategies currently in use at, at the banks, right? So when they see the, when people come to us and they see the leaders of the firm and the founders of the firm, um, heavily uh, experienced in the financial services industry, I think that uh gives them a little more trust in us. Um, we're not, we're not just young, uh, kids, um, starting, a starting a financial, like, you know, tech, tech entrepreneurs starting a financial services company. We are financial services experts and professionals using technology to get the financial, um, concepts out to the masses. Let, let's um, speak about that. Cause I, I think that's very interesting. You both have, you know, uh, years of experience in the industry and then you, you go and you're, you build a robo-advisor, very tech heavy. Did you have tech experience? How, how did you manage that? Tell us a bit about that, that path of, okay, and, and what that was like the moment you decided to shift from uh, a traditional career path to mm-hmm. uh, gearing towards entrepreneurship. Okay, so yeah, so um, I we don't have any, myself or James don't have any like uh, deep coding um uh, experience. Um, I would say that I was, I'm kind of tech forward in, in my use of technology. Um, but when it came to developing, um, you know, we didn't really have any experience. So we had to rely on, on some of the people that, uh, that we, uh, you know, we, we came in, in contact with and the relationships that we built, uh, and, uh, and we got connected with some, a good group, um, in Ontario here to, um, to develop our, our first MVP. I think uh, we had, when we were originally thinking about that, we're like, okay, we got it. We know we got to build this technology, you know, who's going to do it for us? Where are they, where are they going to be from? Right. And it, you know, there was many different avenues. You, you could get it done offshore. Uh, you could done it, get it done in Canada. Um, we, we decided that it was important for us to have the developers that we were going to be working with on such an important project for us uh, to be in Canada very close to us sure. um, just because um, we didn't really know what was involved with building a, a full tech stack um, and we wanted to be close to that and it was um, and it was important for us to, to for a while, and a lot of it was me in the, in the early when it came to the tech development side um, you know having that relationship with our developers and speaking to them on a regular basis um, so it was a little bit uh, nerve-wracking for sure. Uh, I think anytime you go through a tech development, it's, it, it can be nerve-wracking. It's a little uh, uneasy, especially if you don't have the technology background. I've been, been through it before. Uh, but I would say now that I've been through it a couple of times, a couple of iterations uh, of, of kind of our, our stack, it's, it's, um, it's definitely getting, I'm definitely more comfortable now than I was, say, five years ago. But, you know, a, a learning curve for sure. Um, and then... Uh, the, I think your other question was addressing going from kind of a traditional career career path to uh, more of a startup. Um, in not only a startup, uh, it was the robo advisors had like re- the, <laughs> this was a whole new concept on on investing, yeah. right? It wasn't it wasn't even like I was going to start a business and doing what the, what the old business was. It was it was literally a new way of how people invest, or at least not how they invest, but at least get their information and medium and in how they invest. 
um, yeah, and it's the one thing I will say, like I worked at a large corporation 10 plus years. Um, It was my first job right at a university. And um, it was something that uh, I, it's a much different experience in a startup world than it is in the corporate world. One of the things that I noticed uh, very quickly, actually, is just the support you have around you um, from uh, the perspective of uh, with a big, you know, big, you know, it was a multinational firm. You have tons of support and you you know your job, you stay in your lane and you do it, right? And then you get support to help you do your job from other departments. Um, whereas in a startup world, you you are... You are, you are the HR, you are the marketing, you are the technology, you are the investments. So uh, it can be a little isolating at, at, at times. So Especially it's like we were mentioning yet, you know, you don't have that tech capacity, but also right. all the facets uh, within a business is something, you, you know, you're from the financial space. So I'm sure numbers weren't a problem, but marketing, uh, hiring, uh, mm-hmm. just the ops, day-to-day ops. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, what, what, yeah. How did well, you? It, it, yeah, well, there's you. You've got to. You've got to do a lot of research. You've got to surround yourself with good connections, good support networks. Um, we we established an advisory board. One of the first things we did, um, and on that advisory board were some uh, some people from startup world uh, had done before. Um, some people with marketing experience. Um, it was, uh, it's all about, I guess, surrounding yourself with good networks. And we had a lot of help again from our developers. We had a lot of help from our legal team. Um, we had a lot of help from marketing contacts that we had. So, um, you've got to be willing to, uh, go out there and network, find those people, uh, establish the right connections, uh, and, and then, you know, um, take all that information in and, and go with whatever you think is the best. And you, when you expose yourself and you open yourself up to the, a lot of those scenarios where you're, you're having those discussions and enhancing your network, you're going to get a lot of feedback from people, right? Like people are going to, if you ask for their, if you ask people for their opinion, they're going to give it to you. Um, so it's just a matter of, you know, sometimes that, that opinion is, is maybe what's right. Maybe it's not right. But um, you've got to always, center yourself with why did you start this firm um, and then take all the information in, is try to be as much as a sponge as possible and then, and then proceed uh, with what, what you believe is the best based on, you know, your passion and what you've built here. So then you, you, you have your board of advisors, you figured out your, your tech team. Um, how did you, what did it look like from the moment uh, that, that you actually began this adventure to getting your first sale? How long did that take? Uh, and how did you, um, yeah, how, how long did it take and how did you execute uh, that first milestone, which is super important? Yeah. So, okay. So we started, um, developing the product, um, in the summer of 2015. And when I mean the product, like the actual, uh, technology was, was being developed, uh, in, in summer of 2015, Along with that, at that time, you know, being in a regulated business like investments, we had to get our, our registrations in place for, with all the securities commissions across the country. Um, so we were kind of doing that in parallel. And uh, we, our, our, tech, our tech stack was ready to go near the end of 2015. Um, and our registration with all the provinces came in near the end of 2015. Um, we, didn't, we didn't turn on anything until... Um, until 2016. Um, the January 2016 is when we turned it on and it was just kind of in beta mode. And we had people testing the product. 
uh, from an onboarding perspective, um, you know, that first week of January. Uh, and that was people we knew who, you know, friends and family, the people who, who, who know you're doing this and have been supportive and are fans of, of yours. Right. So we did that. Um, and we had to do a little bit, uh, after we got their feedback, we made another, you know, a few rounds of, uh, of iterations to the tech stack, uh, and then launched to the public in, um, the first week of April, 2016. Um, and then we got we got some some you know some press. We lined up a, 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 a kind of marketing agency um, to help us through our, our launch, our official launch, which was that you know first week in, in Q two in twenty sixteen in April. Um, and you know we were in the Globe and Mail, we were in multiple publications um, about the launch of our firm. So that was uh, that was good. Our first client that. Uh, I always say when it comes to, I get the question about our first client. I always, we had clients, um, because we had beta, beta users coming in. Um, but again, those are all people we knew. So I always kind of attest the, the first client that we had was someone that I didn't, I didn't know, or, or sure. either myself or James, uh, didn't know. And, and that came in mid to end of April, our, our first customer, um, and, uh, had, onboarded and had their money uh, moved over. So it was a, you know, uh, it, it always takes a couple of weeks to, to move money over um, depending on where it's coming from. Uh, so yeah, it was, a, it was, it was a very, it was a very exciting time um, when you have somebody who, who signs up that you don't know. And yeah, you're very grateful for that person for signing up. Yeah. And that the website is just working as planned that the registration, there's no bugs and they're able to actually complete it. Yeah. Was there still a, a human, um, I guess, operation that was needed or was, uh, that like you have to verify while well, you have to do the KYC, yeah. you have to, what, what has that process changed, um, throughout or for the, you're still using the same, uh, tech stack as, as you had. Yeah. So yeah, there's been iterations to it. We've made changes, we've enhanced it, we've made it more efficient, but yeah, I think from an onboarding perspective, um, there, uh, there was some, there was, there is some human interaction. I think at that time there would have been a lot more than there is definitely now. Um, but, uh, just, you know, things you have to, you have to verify their identification. Right. And, and before at that time, what we had to do was, um, we had to send them a, a, a small deposit, like a micro deposit, we call it. Uh, and it's like 12 cents, whatever, 30 right. cents. And we, and we say, okay, you know, we're going to send it to your bank account. Here's the 30 cents, send it back to us. And then that, that kind of forms as a, as a, as a way of ID verification because the bank has verified okay. your ID. So you have that bank account. So, you know, <laughs> you can just imagine you send a you send a 30 cent deposit, you know, they get it. You, know, you got to be on them to send it back. Um, you know, so it takes a couple of days for that, Matt, for that to happen. Uh, that was that was how ID verification worked at that time. It's now evolved. Uh, you know, the regulations have uh, have allowed for an easier way to do it, uh, and we we have a, a technology way where we connect right into um, a credit bureau and do a soft credit check on, on clients to uh, just verify verify the name and, and, and address and date of birth. So, um, and and that's all done you know, within the tech stack. So those are kind of examples of reiterations that we do. And, you know, there's, again, from an operation standpoint, you have to evolve. Like we've got, we had, at that time, it was all just onboard the customer, right? Get the customer on board. Um, and then we'll kind of figure out how we'll get the money over after. Um, so it was a matter of, you know, 
telling them do you do, they can do an online bill payment to fund their account. Uh, do they have uh, investments at another institution? Uh, can we get that information and do a transfer form and, and, and send it off to that institution and transfer it over? Um, so like all that, um, you know, that infrastructure around that hadn't necessarily been built. Uh, we just wanted to onboard at that point. But but now if you look at our if you look at our our, our, our kind of whole process, it's very automated and, and you know, clients can build the transfer form, sign it, um, you know, the ID verifications right away, you know, funding their bank accounts, uh, opening the investments accounts, it's all you know, it's all uh, same day, right? So it's a very quick process. So if we fast forward to twenty twenty, um Laws changed in the fintech space uh, this year, uh, but when you ask, you know, uh, biggest fintech company in Canada, robo advisor or fintech at large, a lot of people think of Wealth Simple first. Sure. You're in yeah. the same space. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you differentiate? How, how has the the competition uh, in the robo advisor space affected you, and how, how do you stand out um, still to this day and, and remain relevant in the space? Yeah, yeah. So, so it is uh, the robo advisor space. There's, I think, there's. Um, a hand, like probably like a dozen robo advisors in some capacity. Like a lot of the banks have the robo advisor now. Um, there's Well Simple, and there's a couple other players. Um, there, it's uh, it's interesting because um, we there are times when um, we've we've gotten clients from other robo advisors, um, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the kind of like typical I think competitive market that. Uh, like we're not we're not we're not all kind of stealing customers from each other by any means right um the robo advisor industry has kind of grown together from from zero right uh in 2015 you know 2016 it was the, 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 this part of the industry didn't exist um so it, you know we've all tried to to work i guess like separately but growing the awareness of robo advisors together right and informing the public um, you know, you know, well, simple has done a, a, a phenomenal job of doing that in the sense of, of raising the awareness, um, because of the backing they have and they have, have lots of money invested and they're able to spend on marketing where we try to differentiate ourselves from other robo advisors. And it's not even necessarily robo advisors for that matter. It's any, any investment manager, but we, we really want to, to focus on the investment sophistication and providing uh, a solution that is best fit for the investor. We believe that's the that's the most important thing here. Um, a slick interface is great. Um, uh, you know, a good marketing program is great. Uh, but the end product here is making sure the investments are meeting their objectives uh, and providing them with solid performing uh, portfolios that is going to meet that that objective. And so, what we do is we really try to separate ourselves from the number of portfolios and the number of objectives that we can, we can um, meet from a client. So we've got uh, a family of portfolios. We've got a growth lineup of por- portfolios, a, a Canadian lineup of portfolios, an income lineup of portfolios, a very unique and very, very popular education target date uh, lineup of portfolios, U.S. dollar portfolios. So, um, And then we manage, uh, if you have a registered account, um, we manage that differently than if you invested in a non-registered account because the tax implications on those two account types are significantly different. One is tax deferred and one you have to worry about taxes, right? So um, really what we're starting to see and we're really uh, kind of carving out our niche is we're, we're seeing that people who come to us 
um, notice that they like that. That's why they come to us. They tell us that, um, but they're also bringing over um, a lot, a lot, you know, a larger wallet uh, or market share of their wallet um, to start with. So, uh, as an example, our average customer has uh, over a hundred thousand dollars invested with just wealth portfolios. The typical robo advisor um, has, you know, anywhere between. 15 to 20,000. So, um, we're, we're starting, we're, we're really trying to, well, we're really trying to emphasis, emphasize this, you know, kind of sophistication when it comes to the investment management and the ability to meet more objectives, not necessarily an objective today could be an objective in the future and beyond. So, um, that's really how we're trying to separate ourselves. Yeah. Well, and it sounds given the, uh, the different types of portfolios you have and also the amount invested, it sounds like you're more focused on a older demographic versus the wealth simples and the Robin hoods are focusing on the, the millennials and you, you see the, the, the damage at the same time it could cause with COVID everybody just throwing money at the stock market. Um, not yeah. necessarily <laughs> knowing what's, what's going on. Yeah, that was interesting. So I uh, think like our, our average client base, um, our average client is kind of in their kind of mid mid forties, uh, which I think a lot of, uh, people, when they think about a robo advisor, uh, it kind of surprises them a little bit. They, they wouldn't expect that the average age of a customer would be in the mid forties. But, um, you know, I think that the reason for that, at least in Canada is because well, simple is kind of the, the one that is known for, um, you know, being a robo advisor here in Canada and they're, they're obviously their market is that, is that millennial market, right? And they've done a great job of marketing to that. Um, whereas ours, we try to, to bring a different, uh, a different take on it and different marketing message and really emphasis the investment sophistication, which has, uh, addressed, a, a, a you know, maybe more affluent market. Now, the, the interesting thing is, is, you know, whether you're starting out now or you have investments, you know, either way, um, the cost to invest through a robo advisor is going to be lower uh, or most likely going to be lower than, you know, going to a bank or, or going to uh, some other uh, avenue. Um, so the people who have to benefit most from that are the people who have have money and, and right. investing for you know decades in some cases. So um, we're starting to see that um, a, a, an older demographic uh, who's been on you know is comfortable in, in dealing online, and uh, I think now during COVID has been forced to deal online uh, are, are starting to 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 take advantage of this, and they're the ones that are actually reaping the most benefits just from the pure cost savings alone. I think that's really interesting because that's a huge value proposition is just how do you get an investor who's been with their bank and happy overall with the service for the last 20 years, but you're telling them, well, you could shave off one, one and a half points by shifting over to us and uh, convincing them that it, it's worth um, making the switch. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's. Um what we've seen is that some people uh, maybe have tried us out um, with one of their accounts or maybe a portion of some of their investments. Uh, and then as time passes, um, they've, been, they've brought over more assets from other institutions or put in more or, or put in this, this year's TFSA, they, they put it into, into just wealth or, you know, they're just more assets coming over. I think there's just growing comfortableness with, with the firm is what really um, uh, is going to take us to that next level. But, you know, that, that's kind of what we noticed early on. Like people would start with $5,000, $10,000 and then invest that. And then, you know, maybe a year or two later, they, they bring over more assets once they become comfortable with us. Uh, go, really, what we're seeing now is that that starting that entry point uh, is, is much higher today than it was, you know, five years ago. And that makes sense, right? You're a new firm. Um, you know, people aren't necessarily going to trust 
100% of their retirement savings to a new firm, right? But when you've been around for five years uh, and then you've maybe heard about us in the media um, in publications, um, you know, there's more credibility to the overall industry. So I think people are starting with uh, higher amounts um, because the cost savings are there. Your solution today, just web-based or you also have a Android iOS app? How, how does that play out? And what's Yeah, the, so the we've there? got, uh, it's just web-based right now. Um, we are we are going through a total um, total revamp of our tech uh, stack right now, actually. Uh, so um, those other features, iOS and, and Play, will be uh, hopefully in early 2021. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, to, to, to wrap up the episode, Andrew, uh, I'd love to know, because I, I think you bring a unique perspective um, for for the listeners who uh, per- perhaps are other professionals in, in the, the financial industry uh, that see all the opportunity and all the disruption that's going on, are interested in taking the plunge, but like the investors who've been investing 20 years, maybe are you know comfortable with their, their careers. Um, c- could you talk to us about, yeah, what... What was like that that motivation? What was the moment you decided to to flip the switch? Uh, yeah. And lessons learned to to maybe if if you were to do it again, anything you would do differently? Yeah, so that's a good question. So um, I guess the kind of that that plunge. I remember I was in my role. I um, I was actually uh, I was tasked with going out to financial advisors, and again, I was on the road all the time, driving all across Ontario because that was where my territory was. Um, and then I would be flying to conferences again all over the, the continent. And I remember one time I was just I was just flying down to a conference somewhere. I think it was in the southern U.S. I had to be with a group of advisors that were all based out of um, the Toronto area. And I was like, this is this is this is a lot of money everyone's spending and we're all just going down there together. And I just felt it was, uh, you know, a very inefficient way of, of, uh, of, you know, coming together. Um, and I, I wrote, well, now we have a, zoom. See, now we, now we have zoom. Exactly. It's, it's so yeah. easy. <laughs> yeah. It's so easy now and so much more cost effective. Right. So, um, but, uh, yeah. So I remember on that, on that flight, I kind of wrote a, a, a business plan or I would call it like a business idea. And it, this was back in probably 2013 actually. And, uh, so when I wrote down those ideas, I kind of just kept it on my Blackberry. That's what I had at the time. And, um, and, and then, a few, you know, as years passed, 2014, 2015, I start, I started to see what my business idea, I started to see that it was popping up, um, in the U S. Uh, and then I, I heard rumblings and, and some stuff here in Canada. So I was like, okay, like I've got this idea. Um, you know, what am I going to, should I jump or should, should I kind of stick to my path? And I don't know what it was in, what happened in me at that time to give that fire. But yeah, I decided to leave a firm. It was, my decision, I left a firm that I was in 10 plus years. Um, it wasn't, I wasn't let go. Um, they were extremely shocked. Um, and it was a stress, it's a stressful time. Like, I won't lie. Like there was, there was, you, you question whether you're doing the right thing because you're making, you know, a good income. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, basically zero. Um, and, uh, it was, uh, it was a stressful time, but I had, I had a lot of great support from family, friends, um, I, I, again, I just kept my, my passion was, you know, I think there's a better way and I wanted, I wanted to deliver this, this, this solution, a more effective way and efficient way to, to Canadian investors. And you just got to keep that passion. And, uh, it just seemed to, um, really, uh, that's what drove me. And I think some of the things I've learned is, you know, the passion to get me, you know, to, to make that, that plunge and, um, kind of parachute off that cliff is, 
you know, that, that has to drive you. And I, I had massive, and I still do have massive, um, a belief in this. Uh, I, I think there's, um, an amazing opportunity. Um, Canadians are, uh, are getting, um, they're lowering their costs significantly they're, they're, because of this, they're, they're making life altering and life changing decisions to the positive. And, um, I knew that at that time and I still do right now. Uh, the difference between then and now is I think at that time, uh, I was, I was one of a few to believe and, 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 and trust that passion. Um, it, the Canadian public just weren't, they weren't aware of it at that time. Right. So, um, what I'm getting at here is it, it, it's, it's very patient. You have to be very patient when you have a passion and especially if it's something new, uh, that, uh, and you may be kind of banging your head up against the wall being like, okay, I've opened this product. I've opened, I've, I have this service. I have something. I know it's amazing. Uh, why is, why are like the masses not coming in on day one? And it just takes time, uh, for people to understand your product, go through their decision-making process and, and then ultimately choose you as, as a service provider or, or buying your product. Um, and, uh, that passion that you have for it just has to be very strong, um, to get you through those times of, um, what did I, what am I doing? Uh, or, or, um, just getting through those, those times when the demons in your head being like, did I make the right the choice? That, that passion has to be strong because it's got to last through, um, times of, of being patient. So, so now that you went through all this, uh, and, and if you look back, anything you would have done differently, um, um, so yeah, there probably is <laughs> probably tons of things I would have done differently. Um, I think, I think one thing that I, I, I maybe have would have done differently is, um, I guess, um, really emphasis on, um, I don't know how to put this in a, in a, in a way that will be understandable, but I want to, I would say that for any entrepreneur out there, um, looking to, to grow their business, um, it, it, one thing I may have done a little bit differently is, is gone out to the market and, and looked for, uh, funding, uh, maybe a little bit sooner than we actually did. Um, and don't worry about necessarily, diluting yourself, um, early on it, it, I think, I think one of the things that, um, we, we experienced was, uh, we, we've, we've done a couple rounds right now. Um, and now we've got a, we've got, you know, some good partnerships now that, uh, are, 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 uh, helping us and, 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 you know, invested in us. So, you know, we're kind of, uh, along that, that path, but I think, um, you know, making sure you've got, funding and a solid business plan, uh, is, is important. And I think, uh, again, it's, it's something that you get so tied up in the business, right. Uh, and sometimes, um, you, you get away from, um, you know, maybe the fact that you, you have to raise money or you, um, you, you've got to look for that strategic partnership. It's, uh, it's always good to allocate some, some time, um, to, um, do those kind of business planning initiatives and not necessarily get so sunk in the actual business. Right. Um, so really emphasizing 
and kind of strategic planning and pricing that a little bit more um, is maybe one of the things I think I would have you would have done a little bit differently. Um, but uh, you know, it's just a crazy time, and uh, you can always look back and try to pick something. But it's sure. uh, you know. Um, especially especially this year um yeah, and, exactly. and you mentioned you, you had a big network um and and you 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 reach out for, for a lot of advice do you remember maybe uh one the, the best advice uh or some of the the best advice you've you've gotten um from your network well yeah so here's one um i remember i was at i can't even how i got introduced to go to this seminar and um it was but it was it was a perfect seminar for me it was called like um I think something about like non-tech founders, you know, okay. like, you know, non-tech founders in a tech technology company. Right. And, um, one of the things this, this individual meant, he was a C, I mentioned he was a CTO at a firm, um, in, in the Toronto area. I can't even remember what firm it was, but anyways, he talked about really emphasizing the, the technology and how, how some people spend too much time on, on building the perfect product and not enough time on, you know, building their customer base. Um, so, and, and he, he said that um, the building, if you think building tech is hard, wait until you try convincing a customer to buy your product. Um, and, and he was right, right? I think a lot of the stress that I had early on as, as a non-tech founder was related to tech, right? And related to technology and building it because I didn't know what I was doing. And it, it was a huge source of stress. Um, but you get to the point where you'll get that built. And even if it's not, even if it's not perfect in every scenario in your mind, uh, the user doesn't necessarily know that, right? Um, and, and the pain points of a user may be totally different than what you think is on that tech product. So um, it's getting out there, um, testing it, asking questions, uh, and then you know, kind of um, being agile enough to make those, those, those changes based on those suggestions from the user. Yeah, now that 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 advice keeps coming up time and time again. Uh, it, it's it's so true, and uh, too many, unfortunately, fall um, have that pitfall within their their company, and and everybody wants the best, nicest, shiny tech or, or design. Uh, when in reality, onboarding your first customers is key, and listening to them to right. understand what what they really want. Andrew, yeah. I think this was a uh, very valuable. Um, thank you so much for for taking the time to to come on the show. I appreciate it. And uh, I hope we'll be able to connect uh, again sometime soon. Yeah, well, well, thanks for having me, Nicholas. I really appreciate it. Hopefully everyone enjoyed. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. 